Maybe I'll get some folks to come up and talk to me about it. Huh? Yes. <laughs> it's it's a sword. <laughs> All right. So we're in Luke chapter twenty, and um, I'm hoping to get uh, through a big section of this. I'm hoping to get all the way down to um, 18. So, that's where I'm hoping to hit. You know, the Apostle Paul on his day, when he ministered, he would often face opposition to those who would oppose him and his ministry. And one of the issues that seemed that it seemed that Paul constantly had to face uh, from his opponents was uh, his authority. You know, by what authority, Paul, do you claim to be an apostle of Jesus Christ? By what authority do you claim to, you know, to um, to be the teacher uh, of all these uh, churches? And so he was always being questioned about his authority. And it is a fact, if you stop and think about it, not only in the secular world, but also in the religious world, um, credentials, certificates, uh, diplomas, you know, that seems to be what impresses uh, a lot of folks. Whether that individual that has their certificate is qualified or is experienced, it doesn't really matter, as long as they've got that that uh, sheepskin and for some folks that's really all that matters that's what makes them uh, certified in their eyes as long as they've got that uh, got that sheepskin and if someone doesn't have the um, proper credentials right if someone doesn't have that uh, certificate uh, then um, they're kind of dismissed aren't they they're not really taken seriously but I don't know from watching the news here these past few months uh, sometimes having the right credentials doesn't necessarily make someone an expert does it well that's just a fact it's no different in Paul's day Uh, men that had carried letters of so called commendation uh, came to the Corinthian church and they were impressing the Corinthian church with their credentials and and that's understandable because uh, the Corinthian church was populated mostly by Greeks and Greeks are very impressed with knowledge they're very impressed with knowledge so therefore they'd be very impressed with someone who would show up with these credentials because they, they must be legit I mean after all they've got this you know, sheepskin. They've got this uh, letter of commendation. And on top of that, to make things worse for Paul, not only did these men come in with these credentials, but they began to also um, belittle Paul, right? He doesn't have these letters like we have. He doesn't have these credentials. He doesn't have this this uh, sheepskin. And so what they would do is they would cast doubt on Paul's authority, on on Paul's apostleship. And so what Paul wrote to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 3.1, he says, Do we begin again to commend ourselves, or need we, as some others, epistles of commendation to you, or letters of commendation from you? And then Paul went on to state, he said, You are my letter of commendation. You are the fruit of my ministry. You're the proof You're the credentials of my apostleship, right? That's what he said. I know that there are some congregations, they don't even consider a candidate for the 
pastorate or the ministry unless that candidate has a diploma or certificate uh, from a place of uh, religious learning that they recognize. That type of thing. It doesn't matter if the candidate has the spirituality of a frog as long as he's got that diploma, right? As long as he's got that diploma. Well, that's the issue that we're kind of seeing here with Jesus. All right? That's the issue we're seeing here with Jesus because they came to question Jesus' authority. Who told you you could do what you were doing? Right? So they were questioning Jesus' authority. And who authorized Jesus to do these things that he was doing? So that's what we're seeing here in this passage. We see this challenge to Jesus' authority by this religious body. So I say all that to get to Luke chapter 20 and verse 1. And it says, And it came to pass that on one of those days, as he taught the people in the, te- in the temple and preached the gospel, the chief priests and scribes came upon him with the elders and spake unto him, saying, Tell us, by what authority doest thou these things? Or who is he that gave thee this authority? Of course, one of those days is, that, is those days that uh, are in between his entry into Jerusalem and then the Passover. Uh, some folks think it's a couple of days after Jesus has come into, the, into Jerusalem. I don't know. It's possible. And the gospel that Jesus is preaching here, there's always some confusion about that. The gospel that Jesus is preaching here is not the gospel that we're familiar with. Right? The gospel that we're familiar with, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15.3, he says, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. So this clearly cannot be the gospel that Jesus is preaching, right? Because he's still alive, he hasn't been crucified, none of that has happened. So what the gospel that Jesus is preaching is the gospel of the kingdom, The kingdom of heaven. That's what he's preaching. He's preaching about the kingdom of heaven when the Messiah will come and set up his righteous uh, kingdom. And the Jews will be able to enjoy all of her covenanted blessings that have been promised to Abraham and promised to David through the prophets. So that's the good news that Jesus was preaching the people in the temple. And stop and think about this. Certainly there was among those people... Some people who received Jesus into Jerusalem, right? With the Hosannas and, you know, blessed is the son of David. And so that, there would be some of those folks also there listening to, to Jesus. And so, you know, they would be motivated to hear what he had to say about the kingdom because they were expecting what? They were expecting that kingdom to come to pass. So naturally, they would want to hear everything that Jesus had to say about this good news about the kingdom. So they would be there, and they would be listening to Jesus talking about the kingdom that they were hope that they were hoping would soon come into being. But we also learned from our last lesson that not everybody was overjoyed by Jesus coming into Jerusalem. Not everybody was happy about Jesus coming into Jerusalem in this fashion, nor were they happy about Jesus teaching the people about the kingdom. And so what they did was is they took the opportunity to challenge Jesus and his authority before these people. I mean, besides uh, the praise of the multitudes when Jesus wrote, what else did Jesus do? 
He went in there and cleansed the temple, didn't he? He chased out all those folks who bought and sold. That's what he did. He went in there and he proclaimed there. We just saw it in Luke. He says, um, he said, uh, it is written, my house is the house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. This is the second time that Jesus has chased these men out of the temple. Now, there's something significant about this. When he did it the first time, the very first Passover of his ministry in John 12, 6, he says this. He says, take these things hence, make not my father's house a house of merchandise. But here in Luke, on the very last Passover, he quotes the scripture and says, make my house. So you see what he's doing here? He's claiming equality with the Father. This is my house. This is my house. And so, riding into Jerusalem on the back of the foal, and this demonstration of chasing these men out, proclaiming my house is the house of prayer, these are two highly visible demonstrations of what? Authority. Authority. Two highly visible demonstrations of authority performed by the Lord. And in the eyes of these very religious men, he was doing something that they believed he had no business doing. Because what he did is making a claim of what? The most highest authority there is, isn't there? So this is what they were having trouble with. This is what they were having trouble with. And so these chief priests and these scribes and these elders, I believe this was a delegation sent by the Sanhedrin, that ruling religious body who uh, had custody over the temple and pretty much governed the people's religious and civil lives. These religious watchdogs, uh, these self-appointed guardians of what some men call the rabbinic traditions, went to Jesus And they demanded, by what authority doest thou these things? And who is he that gave thee this authority? You see, these men were claiming this authority for themselves. They were claiming this authority for themselves. They were the ones that had the authority to regulate the religious affairs of the temple. They were the ones who were the authority over the people in religious matters. These men had not granted this kind of authority to Jesus. And this is what was giving them indigestion. This is what was giving them heartburn. You see, the kind of authority that these men were acquiring about was the kind of authority that men give to other men. That's what they were all up in arms about. Because, honestly, that's the only authority they recognized. The authority that men give to other men. Since the beginning of Jesus' ministry, this has been one of the perennial issues with these, with these um, uh, religious leaders. By what authority are you doing this? Who gave you this authority? In John seven fifteen, it says, And the Jews marveled, saying, How knoweth this man letters, having never learned? 
Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but his that sent me. What they were asking was this. What college does he come from? Right? You know, what diploma is he showing here? From what rabbinical school is he from to have this authority? And Jesus is saying, I don't come from any of those. My doctrine is straight from the Father. One man called this uh, the principle of rabbinism. That's a mouthful, isn't it? And what that simply is, is um, all teaching... Uh, that is considered authoritative must be approved by some rabbinic authority. Okay? Uh, other words, handed down from teacher to teacher to teacher. So you're, the authority that one taught was based upon what? Some man's teaching. Some man's teaching. It uh, was a legalistic system based upon traditions and legal opinions of men about the law of Moses. That's why they had lawyers and scribes. Because that's what it was all about. One of the aspects of Jesus' teaching, Matthew 7.29, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Uh, One of the aspects of Jesus' teaching that proved to be a thorn in the, in the side of these scribes and lawyers was that he spoke with authority and not as the scribes who taught by authority. Do you understand the difference between the two? Yeah, when you're speaking by authority, what you do is you, you, you make a statement and then you back that statement up with, well, Rabbi so-and-so said this and Rabbi so-and-so said that. So that's how that was their authority. But when Jesus spoke, he spoke with authority because why? Well, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He was the truth. So therefore he spoke with authority. The rabbis would would teach traditions of men. And so forth. So when they would default to an authority, instead of defaulting to the word of God like they should have, Done. <laughs> they defaulted to some man's teaching. And of course, the highest authority to them was Moses. What did Moses say? What did Mo- and then they would interpret from what Moses said. What did Moses say? I mean, even Jesus would appeal to these men's conscience when he would ask him, well, what did Moses command you? Right? If you're, if you're not going to recognize my authority, then let's go to Moses. What did Moses say to you? What did Moses say to you? There's Christian denominations that do the same thing. I came from a Christian denomination that is that way. Unless the Pope or a bishop or a priest said so, then it just, it just wasn't so. There's other denominations that are the same way. There's even some Baptist circles that are that way. It's a, it's a, the authority is, is yea, thus, not, it's not yea what saith the Lord, but yea what saith some man. So what these men came to Jesus demanding was essentially this, what man gave you this authority? 
We didn't. And we're the leaders. What man gave you this authority? Because that's the only authority that they recognize. Same way is true with some of the denominations that have the Christian name. If you don't have an approval of a priest or a bishop or a clerical person of some sort, then you're not valid. Then you're not valid. Same thing with Bible college or seminary. If they don't recognize that particular institute, then you're disqualified in their eyes. Now, we have a Bible Institute, and I want to say something about that. We do have a Bible Institute, but the purpose of the Bible Institute is not to elevate anybody's status in this church. I mean, just because you go through HBI and you graduate from HBI, that doesn't make you any better or any higher on that ecclesiastical ladder than anybody else. All right? It just doesn't do that. The purpose of the Bible Institute is simply to provide uh, biblical instruction to aid anyone who uh, desires to serve the body of Christ at a more consecrated level, a more serious level. Uh, There are some folks that feel called to be missionaries, so we try to help them, train them. There are some folks who are called to establish a church, to be a pastor in a church. So we try to train them. We try to help them in that regard. Honestly, if one of the graduates of HBI comes out of there with a big head, thinking that there's all that in a bag of chips, that's on them. Because that's definitely not the intent of any of the instructors in HBI. That's certainly, that's just, and it happens, doesn't it? Right? The more knowledge you get, the bigger the head. The bigger the head. So the, the institute that we have, we, we simply want to educate and train people who are currently serving and ministering the word of God to others. And we simply want to give them a, a more intense level of discipleship to aid them as they seek to serve at a more consecrated level. So it's not a stepping stone. It's not a stepping stone. If you go into HVI thinking it's a stepping stone of advancement, please don't go because you're going with the wrong heart attitude. It's not what it's all about. And again, this is not to, and I've heard this too. That's why I'm addressing this. If you, if you don't feel led to go to HBI, that doesn't minimize your service or your place in this church. Don't think that way. The, the pastorate doesn't think that way. Just because you don't feel led to go to HBI, your service is just as valid, just as, as, as important as if, you, as if you did go to HBI. We appreciate everybody's service. Everybody's ministry. This is just to further training and education. And yes, we do have requirements if you're interested in HBI. You have to meet certain requirements because it is at a you know a higher level of education and demands and things like that. 
But if you think it's instilling some sort of authority, you're mistaken. Do you know where true authority in the church comes from? I know you guys know the answer. As soon as I say it, you're going to say, yep. True authority in the body of, in the church is service to the body. Right? Luke twenty two twenty five. The things the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and they that exercise authority upon them are called benefactors. But ye shall not be so. That's not the way we work. But he that is greatest among you, let him be as younger, and he to, he that is chief as he that doth serve. Service. Matthew twenty three eleven. Jesus says, "He that is greatest among you shall be your." servant it's service service so these men come to Jesus and they demand Jesus to tell us by what authority you do these things and they feel that they've got Jesus trapped that's why they went to him they want him to look bad in the people's eyes if Jesus, you declare one's authority uh, to be different from what they accept as an authority, then they're going to call that ignorant assumption on your part. They're going to call it ignorant assumption on your part. What right do you have not being sanctioned by us? Okay? And if he claims authority came from God, which it does of course, but they didn't believe it then they would call that blasphemous presumption and worthy of condemnation that's what they've done before in the past that's what they've done before in the past so this was an attempt to discredit Jesus in the eyes of the people, they wanted to embarrass Jesus If Jesus admitted that no, the Sanhedrin did not sanction him to have this authority, then they could say, aha, well then, stop it, because we are the authority. If Jesus claimed that God sent him, then they would claim he was being arrogant and presumptuous. What right do you claim to have something that only belongs to God? So you see, you know, you see what they were doing here. They'd already leveled that charge on him. John 10, 32. Jesus answered them, many good works have I showed you from my father. For which of those works do you stone me? The Jews answered him saying, for a good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy. And because thou, being a man, makest thyself God. That's the issue. That's the issue. So this is why Jesus turned it right back on them. By whose authority do you do this? Verse verse 3. I will also ask you one thing and answer me. The baptism of John, was it from heaven or of men? And they reason with themselves saying, if we shall say from heaven, he will say, why then believe ye him not? But and if we say of men, all the people will stone us, for they be persuaded that John was a prophet. And they answered that they could not tell whence it was. Now Jesus is not evading the question. He's just putting the ball back in their courts, <laughs> is what he's doing.
You know, he's done this before. He's done this before. You remember the man who uh, had palsy and his friends broke up the ceiling and they lowered him down in front of Jesus? And Jesus said to the man, Thy sins be for your your sins are forgiven. Remember that? We read about that in Luke. What was the scribes and the Pharisees' reaction to this? There you go. What is the issue there? Yeah. By what authority are you forgiving sins? By what authority do you have to forgive this man's sins? Well, what does Jesus do? He, he asks them a question. He answered and said unto them, What reason ye in your hearts? He says, Whether it is easier to say, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Rise up and walk. But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power or authority upon earth to forgive sins. He said unto the sick of the palsy, I say unto you, Arise and take up thy couch and go on into thy house. And what happens? The man who entered the house under assistance left the house unassisted. That's a drop the mic situation, isn't it? Yeah. By what authority? But he just proved it, didn't he? So with Jesus turning this question back on these men in the presence of the people, they realize, "Uh uh-oh, we stepped into it. We put our foot right in it. Instead of embarrassing Jesus, they were going to be the ones embarrassed. Instead of Jesus' authority being held in question, whose authority was now being held in question? Theirs. Their authority. Their authority. The question is simple. Did John act upon his own authority or did John act according to the authority of one sent by God fulfilling God's will? It's a simple question. It's a simple yes or no question. Very simple. Was he or was he not sent by God? Well, we know he was, right? Because we've got the word of God that says he was. Luke 3, 3, And he came into all the country about Jordan, preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah, the prophet saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. He was the fulfillment of that scripture. He was the fulfillment of that scripture. John came claiming the authority of being sent by God, claiming the authority of being fulfillment of the scripture. He never, never claimed that authority for himself. Never did. When the Pharisees sent uh, their little delegation to inquire of John about this matter, John uh, in Gospel of John 119, they asked, Who art thou? Verse 20, And he confessed and denied not, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked, What then? Art thou Elias? And he saith, I am not. He says, They asked, Art thou the prophet? He answered, No. Then they said unto him, Who art thou? That we may give an answer to them that sent us. What sayest thou thyself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as said the prophet Isaiah. There was his authority. There was his authority. 
And these men knew exactly the passage that he was talking about found in Isaiah chapter 40 because it is a messianic passage. And John was clearly telling them from the scriptures, I'm the forerunner of the Messiah. I am the one who is heralding, that's a hard word for me to say, that the king is coming. In fact, he's with you right now in your very midst. That was his authority. So these men knew that to admit to John's authority and that he came from God (laughs) kind of put them in a tough spot because to accept John's authority, guess whose authority they would have to accept? Jesus's. And they were not about to do that. They were not about to do that. John's authority and Jesus's authority was identical for they both were sent by God. And they were not about to do that. They were not about to do that. And if they denied that John's authority came from heaven, the people were persuaded that John was a prophet. And so if they would have said, if they would have denounced John as a prophet, those people would have, would have risen up and stoned those men. So they were in a rock and a hard place. They were a rock and hard place. And I'll bet there were many of those people in the temple that day that submitted to John's baptism. See, these men's attitude had not changed from the very beginning. From the very beginning, they are still, remember what I talked about last week? Hard hearted. Hard hearted. If anything, their hearts had become harder. Luke 7:29 and all the people that heard him the publicans justified God being baptized with the baptism of John but the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the counsel of God against themselves being not baptized by him they were hard-hearted men their position had not changed and um, they were not about to change They were not about to change. And they did the only thing that they could do. And they said, we can't give you an answer. Uh, These guys were the original know-nothing party. They knew they couldn't uh, say either way. And their answer was dishonest. They couldn't do anything but plead the fifth. How many times have we seen that? (laughs) Pleading the fifth. John 20, verse 5, and they reasoned with themselves. That's their problem. They reasoned. Saying, if we shall say from heaven, he will say, why then believe ye him not? But and if we say of men, all the people will stone us, for they be persuaded that John was a prophet. And they answered that they could not tell whence it was. See, these men were divided between two opinions because they were not interested in the truth. All they were interested in was discrediting Jesus. Kind of seeing that on the political scene today, aren't we? We've got politicians who are ignoring the facts to push their own agenda. That's where these men were. Now consider how humiliating... This would be to these men, these doctors of the, of the law, these scribes who look down their collective noses on the common people, 
who they considered ignorance. See, they attempted to demean Jesus in the eyes of the people, but Jesus, what did he do? He made them look bad. And instead of Jesus' authority being held in question, now their authority was held in question. Their authority was held in question. I mean, these guys who claim to have such knowledge about the things of God, they couldn't answer a simple little question. A crucial question. Again, Jesus exposes these men's hypocrisy, their insincerity, and now their incompetence to be religious leaders of the people. And one other thing I want you to see here, the process of hardening of the heart. The process of hardening the heart. We talked a little bit about that uh, in our last lesson. Proverbs 29.1 He that being often reproved hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed in that without remedy. You see, these men are faced with the truth and yet what do they do? They refuse that truth. They reason it away. And so they refuse to submit to the truth and in refusing to submit to the truth they become hardened against that truth and what does Proverbs tell us about a hardened heart that refuses to repent it'll be destroyed it'll be destroyed we kind of see this hardening process in our own times we've got and I don't mean to be political but I I use this as an example we see political leaders who refuse to see what their eyes are showing them in order to accept some alternative truth that fits their agenda that's what these men were doing they see violence and destruction and murder and they choose to call it peaceful don't they they are shown evidence that speaks contrary to their political aims and they call it collusion They see an enforcing of law to preserve peace and safety for citizens and they cry out it's a violation of freedom. The acts of a dictator. We're seeing a hardening of the heart in our own nation. Refusing to see the truth for their own truth. And that's what these men were doing. These men were opponents of the truth They refused to see the truth, and therefore their hearts were becoming hardened. And that's what's going on in our own country, a hardening of the hearts. So Jesus kind of gives them over to that hardened heart, and he says, Neither tell I you by what authority I do these things. Guys, if that's the pathway you want to take, so long so long I mean what good would it do these men if Jesus told them the truth they were already resistant they already rejected it they were already violent and hostile toward it so Jesus then turns back to the people and he tells them a parable verse 9 
Then began he to speak to the people this parable. A certain man planted a vineyard and led it forth to husbandmen and went into a far country for a long time. And at the season he sent a servant to the husbandmen that they should give him of the fruit of the vineyard. But the husbandmen beat him and sent him away empty. And again he sent another servant and they beat him also and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty. And again they sent a third and they they wounded him also and cast him out. Then said the Lord of the vineyard, what shall I do? I will send my beloved son. It may be they will reverence him when they see him. But when the husbandmen saw him, they reasoned among themselves, saying, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, that the inheritance may be ours. That's what's going on here with these men. So they cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. What therefore shall the Lord of the vineyard do unto him? Unto them, he shall come and destroy these husbandmen and shall give the vineyard to others. And when they heard it, they said, God forbid. The, the point of this parable is very simple. The vineyard is Israel. The husbandmen given the responsibility to manage this vineyard by the owner is, are these scribes, these religious, the religious leadership. The servants are God's prophets that have been sent to preach repentance and righteousness to this stiff-necked nation. And then finally, the beloved son. Who is that? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. That these men take outside the city walls of Jerusalem and crucify not many days from, from this time. It's Jesus. In 70 AD, Rome came in September and destroyed these husbandmen. Destroyed the temple, destroyed the city, and essentially just destroyed the nation. The inheritance that they were trying to keep for themselves... They lost. They lost. And those others who will receive it, I believe, will be the Jews that survived the tribulation period. That third, that remnant. And they will be the ones who will receive the inheritance as they go into the millennial kingdom. Those who said, God forbid, I believe, are the people. The people were astute enough, smart enough to pick up on what Jesus was saying. And like any right-minded, common-sense citizen of any nation, they didn't want to see the demise of their nation. They didn't want to see the demise of their nation. But yet that's exactly where their religious leadership was taking them. Sound familiar? Seeing that the point of his uh, parable had been perceived by the people, Jesus now addresses the leadership who will be held responsible for uh, for for the fate of this nation. And he says here in verse 17, And he beheld them, the leadership, and said, What is this then that is written? The stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner. Whosoever shall fall upon that stone shall be broken, but on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. This stone that Jesus mentions is himself. This is what Peter would later preach to the same people in Acts chapter 4. 4.10, he says, Be it known unto you all 
to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth whom ye crucified whom God raised from the dead even by him does this man stand here before you hold this is the stone which was set at naught of you builders scribes, Pharisees, elders chief priests which has become the head of the corner Neither is there salvation in any other name, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Peter quotes from Psalms 118, which is a messianic psalm. And Psalm 118 foretells about the coming Messiah. Psalms 118.22 says, The stone which the builders refused has become the headstone of the corner. Jesus Christ is the headstone of the corner. The headstone or cornerstone is what the builders would set down and from that stone all the other stones would be lined up. Isaiah 28.16 says, Therefore thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion for our foundation a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. He that believeth shall not make haste. Judgment also I lay to the line and righteousness to the plummet and the hail shall sweep away the refuge of lies and the water shall overflow the hiding place. That cornerstone, one of these days, is going to pass judgment on this Christ-rejecting world. And all of that wickedness and all of that lying and all of that rebellion will be swept away by the cornerstone. This cornerstone was laid down by God himself. And it was from this tried stone, this precious cornerstone, that all others must measure up. Zechariah 3.8 also speaks about this. He says, Hear now, O Joshua, the high priest, thou and thy fellows that sit before thee, for they are men wondered at, for behold, I will bring forth my servant, the branch. And in your Bibles, that's capital B-R-A-N-C-H. Because they, they want you to take note. For behold, the stone that I've laid before Joshua upon one stone shall be seven eyes. Behold, I will engrave the graving thereof, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will remove the iniquity of that land in one day. In that day, saith the Lord of hosts, shall ye call every man his neighbor under the vine and under the fig tree. Gosh, we just read about that, didn't we? This stone is clearly identified with my servant, the branch. Now, who is my servant, the branch? Jesus Christ. Jesus says, Whosoever shall fall upon that stone shall be broken, but on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to power, powder. That's what we've got going on here, right here. See, the Apostle Paul taught in uh, Romans 11 that blindness in part has fallen upon Israel. These religious leaders are blind because of their hard heart. And that stone that they refuse and reject, they trip over that stone. And they're broken. In 70 AD, they were broken. Rome came and destroyed their city, their temple, dispersed the Jews, and there, there went the nation as they knew it. 
So those blind men tripped over that stone, fell on it, and were broken. It also says that that stone upon whomsoever it shall fall shall crush. If you remember the vision that Nebuchadnezzar had in Daniel chapter 2 about that Colossus he he dreamt about, what happened to that Colossus, which, which represents all of the Gentile world powers? A stone that was, not, that was uh, cut out of the mountain without hands came and struck the feet of that Colossus and ground it to powder so much so that the wind came and blew it away like chaff. One of these days, very soon, that cornerstone is returning and judgment will fall upon the Christ-rejecting Gentile nations and the apostate Jews of that time, it will fall on them and crush them and grind them into powder and judgment. These men were fearful of being stoned by the people. And instead what happens? They trip over the stone and become broken. Now this wasn't lost on these religious leaders. The people understood and the religious leaders understood. Luke 20:19 and the chief priests and the scribes the same hour sought to lay hands on him and they feared the people for they perceived that he had spoken this parable against him against them. They didn't grab Jesus and arrest him then because they were afraid that the people would revolt. But they knew exactly that Jesus they knew that Jesus was talking about them. See, Jesus was a threat to their position and influence over the people. Jesus was a threat to their authority. And therefore, he must be destroyed. Again, we're seeing that in our own country. People who are perceived a threat to an authority, what do they try to do? They try to destroy them. They try to destroy them. Nothing's new under the sun. Nothing is new under the sun. In seeking to preserve their authority, they lost it when Rome came in 70 AD. And the same fate that fell upon these men with hardened hearts and spiritually blind eyes, if you reject the rock that is Jesus Christ, and you harden your hearts against the good news of the word of God, what do you think is going to happen? You think you're going to get a free pass? No, you're not. That's foolish to think that way. You reject the rock of Jesus Christ, which is our salvation, then you're going to have to face the consequences of that decision. Just as Peter preached, there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Any other name is sinking sand. So let me close with this. Psalms 18.46 The Lord liveth, and blessed be my rock, and let the God of my salvation be exalted. Amen? Ron, would you close this out in prayer, please? Here's something.